Dr. Haig, Jim, Dr. Jim, and Dr. Dave. G'day, boys. G'day, Sam. Oh. Great to be here again. Yeah. Awesome to have you here, Gunny. Yeah, thank you, guys. Thanks for um, asking me. Dave, why don't you give us a little bit of background about who you are, where you come from, and uh, what your uh, foray into medicinal cannabis has been? My name's Dave Gunn, um, Canadian originally. I've been in Australia for, I think, almost eight years. Not good with numbers. Most of my work as a doc uh, was in a small town in Eastern uh, Canada, worked kind of old school, general practice, emergency rooms, inpatients, took care of the GP clinic when we could, uh, nursing homes, palliative care, home desk, the whole thing. And then because of the environment of opioids during that time, I, I got into opioid replacement therapy as well with a friend of mine. And throughout, throughout those years, really from the beginning of my career, cannabis was an option in Canada. It, was, it wasn't commonly done, but there was a pathway. It was really just a document. The government would allow a patient to have either to grow a few plants for themselves or to, to purchase it from someone who had a permit to grow it. And I think a patient came to me in my early days as a GP and said, would you sign this thing? And, and it seemed reasonable to me. And that's, that was where it started. And so I just, I was, I would, it was not like a cannabis clinic. It was, I was just doing lots of different things and cannabis found its way in particularly amongst my opioid dependent patients. It just, their urines always had THC in it. Anyway, we started talking and from a harm reduction point of view, it just became quite obvious that it wasn't really a worry in the emergency room either. So I guess when I got here in Australia, just came to do private practice GP work and slow down a bit, enjoy the warm weather and water colder in Canada. I don't know if you know that. And then I noticed that when I mentioned medical cannabis to my colleagues, they really looked at me like I was nuts and I'm not really an alternative medicine kind of fella. I'm an emergency room doc. I'm pretty meat and potatoes. I realized that I was in a different environment. Not that it was hugely accepted back home either. I just, it was just a bit more fear and worry around it, I think, from a prescribing point of view here. And so I began to educate myself on how that I could reintegrate it here in Australia and I've gone from there. And Dave, you're not a straight cannabis doctor. You run an everyday, as you say, mean potatoes general practice with a bent towards uh, medicinal cannabis. Tell us a little bit about your day-to-day -day practice. Yeah, look, it's hardly very normal anymore. I was practicing as a regular GP and prescribing cannabis, but over the last few years, the demand was quite strong and I uh, was getting more referrals from local GPs and specialists. And in the end, my, it swallowed up my time and I, I just let go of my old practice. And I've been working for Emerald Clinics for the last, geez, four or five years, I think. And they've allowed me to do a standalone clinic here in the Northern Rivers where I'll see anything. Uh, I weave in my methadone practice, opioid agonist practice. I see a lot of people for addictions of all sorts, alcohol, tobacco, you name it. And, but yeah, I get the majority of my referrals are asking about medical cannabis and then mental health weaves itself through all of that. So in the end, it's ended up being a mental health, chronic pain and substance use focused clinic. I do tiny little bits of GP work here and there when it happens, but it doesn't happen much anymore. I injected a Morton's Neuroma yesterday. It was, I don't know. So that still happened, but not much. But do you find it even in your regular GP work that, you know, most people and their presentations, unless it's an acute sort of illness or pathology, do you feel that there's often in your mind, a cannabis option for those patients, but a lot of the issues that they're presenting with, even if it wasn't on their radar? 
Yeah, I think what's happened to me is that I'm away from acute medicine. So I started my career doing only acute medicine, the emergency. You don't have these three things, don't know what's wrong with you, don't care, off you go. And now I'm on the other side of the spectrum where I mostly see very chronic problems that have been very thoroughly investigated and multiple things have been tried to improve them. And all of that, as anyone who gets into prescribing cannabis, it all begins to look the same where they're chronically suffering, whether it be from pain or cancer or chronic ailments or mental health or substance use or all of the above. And yeah, cannabis ticks so many boxes within that population. So I think for a GP who's been working for a while, all of the stuff that originally was so challenging and frustrating for both the clinician and the patient starts to become enjoyable. And Dave, also with your addiction work, there's such a fear out there in the community, the medical community, that cannabis is going to be a, another just addictive sort of substance or, or, or a substance of a dependence. And there's even you know, talk from certain pain specialists about, you know, if cannabis replaces opioids, then it's going to be just the next opioid epidemic, which yeah. seems pretty uh, far-fetched to me. And I think over, over his, history in the last hundred years, Cannabis has been seen as a gateway drug to other harder drugs, but in your yeah. practice and in my practice, I'm seeing cannabis as a, as an exit drug, a lot of other harder drugs rather than as a, a gateway drug. So are you, are you finding that with what you do as you specialize more in this area? Look, I've done my whole career when it comes to substances, I look at all of it from what does the molecule do? Uh, I try to remove politics and stigma from drugs. They, when you're working with them in the emergency setting, it's the dosage. What's the worst thing that could happen? Toxicology. It's not who cares about it or who thinks it's bad. So when I look at cannabis, I go, okay, how much would it take to kill somebody? We don't think there is an amount. And I go, okay, if you're taking it every day for a long time and you stop it suddenly, what happens to you? We know what that is. It, there's a, it, there are symptoms, but they're not particularly terrible and they rarely cause the person to tear their life apart as a result, cause a bunch of destruction. But what else? Intoxication. Yep. You can take too much. You can get a bit weird and you might even end up psychotic, which is probably the worst outcome that we see. It's just when in comparison to other substances that are misused, it has less worry for me than most of them. And that certainly includes alcohol. I spend a ton of time harping on about alcohol. Patients that have come to me for nothing to do with alcohol. They're not people who would consider themselves to have an issue with alcohol. They're there for fatigue or mental health symptoms. And I want to talk to them about alcohol for a long time because they're having three or four standard drinks every night and they just don't, I don't think they fully appreciate how much of a toll that particular molecule is taking. And again, because of societal acceptance, that's not a word. Nobody's worried about it. Nobody's concerned. And so I guess my hierarchy of harms for these substances does not fit, I think, the general population. But I'm not alone. If you look at someone like Professor Nutt's work, I've got this laminated drug harms sheet that he, from his study that's been reproduced in multiple countries with the same results. And alcohol for the individual, for society, is clearly the worst thing. Um, and cannabis is well down the track, and that's recreational use. To answer your question, no, I don't think it is a gateway drug other than it's the first thing some people aren't too scared of when they're young, so they try it. 
and they've got mental health issues or issues in their life that are driving them towards substance use. And then they, as they get settled in, they do progress to stronger things, which then cause more problems. Um, but I don't think the cannabis made them do it. So some of the cannabis like a bit from, from a dealer who may have other things that they might want to try them on as, yeah. as well. They're not getting appropriate education and information from a qualified sort of prescriber. So it's a you yeah. know, very, very different environment to touch. Touch footy isn't a gateway sport to rugby league. You were curious, touch footy was fun and not so scary. And then you got interested and tried something else. If, if you break your leg playing league, it's not because touch footy sucked you in. Anyway, I know that's a good analogy, but it just, it, it <laughs> happens to, to, to come across. There's no pharmacologic mechanism to suggest that cannabis is going to make you use other drugs. I'm seeing cannabis as a, as a gateway botanical medicine. Plant oh medicine. yeah. That's yeah. actually opening up people are seeing that the benefits of, of cannabis they're seeing yeah. that the harms are, are generally significant when used in, in an appropriate manner and yeah. realizing that a lot of the stigma and biases that we carry around this plant have likely also been put onto other potentially powerful plants and we are seeing yeah. a resurgence of other plant-based medicines psychedelics and, and these types of things and i think a lot of that is going to be more easily accepted by the community and by prescribers because of how cannabis has, has come into our medical sort of world and hasn't caused the, the sky to fall in. It's worked on me. I think it shows you that mild, milder drugs can be very useful. And I think from basic allopathic training and work, you get used to using sledgehammers all the time and disregarding the weaker drugs or the natural drugs, because how much can it really do? CBD is a perfect example. I was really not accustomed to prescribing CBD by itself in Canada because it just wasn't economically very smart to do. You'd put a bit of THC in there, but because of the driving laws in Australia, I've watched many patients use just CBD and I had to change my thinking about how much could be done just with CBD. And again, it was my kind of, let's use the big one mentality from allopathic medicine. Now, boys, we are going to get on to talking about aged care. We might have to break this episode into a two-parter, <laughs> but one quick question for you. When it comes to smoking and vaping, I watched that uh, documentary, The Big Vape on Netflix the other day. I don't know if you guys have seen it. It's incredible. All about the jewel vapes. Really good. Do you use edibles, either of you, for smoking cessation? Is there any evidence around it? Yes, there is some evidence that, that cannabis, both CBD and THC can help with the acute withdrawal sort of symptoms of uh, a lot of different sort of substances and it can also help treat, most people are often using nicotine as a stress relieving sort of activity. So actually directly helping to manage the, the stress or anxiety that might be underlying that. I think edibles can give people a nice baseline sort of relief, but I do feel that there is a role for things like inhaled for the CBD as a way of actually helping people come off inhaled sort of nic nicotine because there's the physical and physiological sort of addiction that nicotine causes. But then there's also this deflowed behavior uh, around having something to do with your hands, the fidgeting sort of nature of it, having that tactile, having the, the tactile element when using something like CBD flower or a CBD vape can help scratch that itch for the patient while the the withdrawal from nicotine is it at, it, at its worst. So I think a combination, like with most things, of baseline therapy with uh, an acute sort of PRN type option 
for patients could be really, could be a really powerful. There was potentially a somewhat tectonic shift with Snoop Dogg saying that he's going to give up the smoke. No one really knows what that means yet. But do you think we are headed to a world in which we just say, you know what, smoking and vaping anything is just voiding? I think it's just education. I think we were all fumbling around in the dark. We weren't talking about it. Most people's parents weren't educating them about how to use drugs. There's a great, was it Hart? There's an American that wrote a book about, I think, drug use for adults. Great book. And it just talks about educating people about actual drug use because so much of our information was so skewed. And so I think as we shift these things into an educated population, you just go, wait a minute, uh, maybe I don't want to smoke cannabis in a joint mixed with tobacco. Maybe there's a better way to, to get what I want from this substance. And so we're just reducing, again, harms. It's let's get the tobacco away from the cannabis. Those are two separate drugs with different benefits and different harms. Let's figure it out. And then well, what if I ate the stuff? But I ate it before and I had a terrible experience with it. I don't like that. I don't like eating it. So I'm going to go back to smoking it. Yeah. But what if we educated you on how to eat it, how much to take and how to get the result you actually wanted? Oh, now I do eating it. This is great because I don't have to smoke anymore. It's all just education. Yeah, and that's I my, I guess that's my question though. At what point do we say your lungs are sacrosanct and don't. Smoke's <laughs> bad for lungs. Yeah. I'm whether you're vaping. I'm smoking them. Yeah. I mean, smoke, of, smoke of any variety from a, that's yeah, right. open fire, from a gas stove, from. Eucalyptus different... leaves, maple leaves, doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> but saying that, Sam, I think there is this common confusion between what a, what everyone thinks of as vapes and then the dry herb vaporizer that people are using. Yeah. For their for their whole whole flower, and if the temperatures aren't set too high, there's there are minimum amount of combustion byproducts, minimal amount yes. of smoke, so people can get that immediate immediacy of of relief. And this is the thing with the inhaled route is it is just such a rapid rapid acting rapid onset delivery method for people when they have an, an acute flare up or an acute symptom. Hopefully, you can manage those symptoms adequately with background formulations, but no one's chronic disease stays stable, there's going to be a whole bunch of external or internal influencing factors that will make it spike at certain times. So having a rapid delivery method, if we see more nano emulsion sort of type technology with buck onset through the oral mucosa that, you know, almost mimics the onset time of things like inhaled cannabis, then I think that's when we're really going to see people moving away um, a lot more from the inhaled route. All right, cool. Now, cognizant of time, we're 17 minutes in and we haven't started talking about oldies and cannabis, which is why we got here. So let's take a quick coffee break. And when we come back, part two, we're going to talk specifically about cannabis in an aged care setting.